Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip interviews podcast and Bitcoin pioneer, Gary Leland. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now... Here's Philip. Alrighty. I am back with another episode of the Ask Philip podcast. And hey, y'all, this is actually like one of my most exciting episodes of the year because I've been I've been looking to find a pod, uh, a Bitcoin nerd as I've gone down my, my journey. And and I ended up stumbling into one a podcast Hall of Famer, uh, one of the top 50, first 50 podcasters, Gary Leland. He is also the organizer and founder of the Bitcoin block boom, which is like one of the biggest uh, Bitcoin uh, gatherings um, happens in August. We'll talk about that too. Uh, but thanks for joining me today, Gary. Oh, always happy to talk Bitcoin. It's one of my <laughs> favorite subjects. So always happy to, uh, but you know, I don't know that I ever turned down an invite to talk about anything. So. <laughs> well, that, so, so I, I first want to go into like briefly into like podcasting, right? Cause to be one of the first top 50 podcasters, that's I would say first top fifty, just first fifty. Fi- fir- first fifty. <laughs> I've mean, never which, been the top one thousand, bro. I know. Well, which is which is even <laughs> crazier, right? Because uh, you were super early. What what made you decide to say, oh, oh, this this? Because probably when you, to be a top fifty or not top top fifty, but to be a, one of the first fifty podcasters, that was before it was even like there's any pod beans or Libsons, right? You had to kind of. Well, that was before even Apple didn't have podcasts when what? I started podcasting. How'd you get so, into it? What made you think to, to do that? Well, I uh, received, um, I, back then I received a lot of email uh, newsletters, uh, marketing newsletters, because I owned a sporting good company. And uh, I saw in one of the newsletters that had like uh, one sentence in there. It said, there's a new thing coming out called podcasting. It could be something someday. I think that would be like something pretty close to that was the extent of it. And I had four or five tech guys that worked for me uh, designing my website. So I had a lot of website and we did a lot of stuff. So I said to one of them, figure out what this podcasting is. We need to figure this out. And uh, it was Christmas holidays. I guess it was about this time of year. And so um, within a week, we were doing a podcast. And within a month, we had one of the uh, top podcasts, one of the first podcast directories on the Internet. In 2006, I think Time Magazine had it. Listed as one of their 50 coolest websites in the world. Wow. But then uh, Apple came out and kind of, it was way better than our website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and speaking of Apple, they, I mean, uh, I'm, I don't know, I, want, I don't want to say they dropped the ball on podcasting, but they sure did let Spotify take a big chunk of their market share because they were super early and just kind of. Yeah, they did treat it like a stepchild. That's for sure. They aren't very, I'm surprised, I've always been surprised that they, allow you to sell like audio books and music, but they don't allow people to sell subscriptions to podcasts. Yeah. And since they make 30% of everything they do on there, <laughs> I mean, that would have been a hefty amount of money. I've, I've always been confused on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause all they had to do was offer that button. Is this a subscription model? How much per episode? Yeah. You know? Well, let's, let, let's see what they do. They're, they're about to get into cars. So maybe they're going to add that to the product mix. 
Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, Spotify has eaten their lunch on it for sure. Absolutely. So so let's get into to Bitcoin. So when did you when did you get into Bitcoin? And and for those you know, well, and, and we'll cover the background for those who 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 don't know what it is. Actually, I've covered a little bit of it, but when you I want to know when you got into Bitcoin. Well, actually, I first heard about Bitcoin. It was a hundred dollars, um, mm. but the person who told me about it uh, explained it to me as a online stock and. That didn't really interest me that much. And then uh, my second exposure to it was at about mm, getting close to a thousand. I started getting interested. Then it, in 2017, I was speaking over in Dallas at the Big D conference and I was walking down the hallway and a friend of mine, Tony, was talking to four or five people in the hallway. So I just wandered over to see what they were talking about. And he was telling them about Bitcoin and uh I got the last maybe five minutes or four minutes of the conversation and they all kind of split up and said, Tony, tell me about this Bitcoin. We went and sat on the couch and I think that was probably about one o'clock in the afternoon. I think we talked about Bitcoin until five o'clock in the afternoon. So I had to go home and being a podcaster on the way home, I pulled out my phone and found me uh, some Bitcoin podcasts and listened to it. And the next day I came back and we went to his house and talked about Bitcoin all day. And he showed me his mining machines and stuff like that. And uh, that was it. I bought Bitcoin that day. Oh, wow. And so that was uh, August 2017, I guess. And, and, and did Before you, the big run-up. And, and did you have a background in, in, in finance that helped you connect the dots? Or was oh, no, it tech? No, or you just... He explained it to me as an internet protocol. And uh, I think if he had explained it to me as a financial thing, I probably wouldn't have been that interested because two people had tried already. But when he started explaining it as the... Um, missing protocol that that's really the only protocol that there isn't on the internet. You know, we have, uh, e- we have email, we have HTTPS, you know, we have a lot of things, but we didn't have one for finance for money. Mm. And when it was addressed to me as an internet protocol, that piqued my interest a little more because, you know, I've been, you know, I designed my first e-commerce site in 96. Everybody told me I was an idiot. No one would buy stuff on the internet, you know? So I've been a believer in the internet for a long time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 So that that's what piqued my interest, though, is that it was a, a uh, more the fact it was a protocol, not that it was a stock or money. And it just happened to be money, you know. So that was even cooler. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. And and this is something that I wrote down that I intentionally did not look up because I know I was going to be interviewing you. But I keep hearing about this uh, the creator Satoshi Nakamura, whoever they, she, or he is, solved the Byzantine general problem. What is right. what is that? What is the Byzantine general problem? Um, the Byzantine general problem is if you had an army and um, you were surrounding a city with your army and you had you were the head general, let's say, and you were hitting the army from four, di- hitting the city from four different directions. And the only way you could win this war and overtake the city is if all four generals left at exactly the same time. You know, but now this is like Byzantine days, you know, you don't have (laughs) electronics. So you have got to figure out a method to um, contact all four of the generals and they all move at the same time. And if you go around, you know, with a horseman around the city, by the time you get to the third, fourth guy and get back, you know, maybe too much time, you may have been killed and they replaced you with another person. Same thing going through the city. They could kill you and give you another guy and have a spy go tell the guy, 
oh, general number two, you're supposed to attack at four. General number three, you're supposed to attack at six. So um, that's the Byzantine general is how, that's the Byzantine general problem. How would the one general communicate with all of them to make sure they do the exact same thing, they either attack or they retreat at the exact same moment? Because if they do, don't do it all together, they're going to get wiped out. So, and that's what Bitcoin does because it's got proof of work. And it takes a while to, uh, and it's expensive to have proof of work. So uh, with proof of work, they would be able to prove it. I'm not an expert on the Byzantine general problem. I just know what it is and that it's proof of work. Got which it. is what mining is in Bitcoin. It's proof of work. Okay. No, so that, that, that connects the dots for me. So it's the, it's the whole mining process that, mm-hmm. uh, that solves it, which, is, which really is, as I understand it, the, the behavior uh, incentive um, thing in place that makes Bitcoin work and that makes it secure. Um, yeah, well, the blockchain really is what makes it secure. Um, okay. I'd say more than the mining. The mining really um, helps to create uh, new coins and uh, people are doing the work of processing transactions and things like that as a reward. That mean you also have nodes and you have miners. It's more to the network than just the uh, miners themselves. But the miners are a complicated part of it. Without the miners, it won't work. And then they have to spend, you know, basically a miner has to spend a ton of money they got to buy computers. they got to use up t- massive amounts of electricity to mine this Bitcoin. So that proof of work is what gives Bitcoin value. If you didn't have to work your butt off and spend a lot of money to get to Bitcoin, it wouldn't have any value. Mm-hmm. You know, but because you do have to work and spend the money, they're not going to, if it costs them right now, let's say it costs them, I don't know what it costs right now to mine a Bitcoin, but Bitcoin's almost 24000 as we speak right now. What is it? $23,573. So let's say it costs him $20,000 to mine a Bitcoin. Well, they aren't going to sell it for $10,000, so they'd quit mining. You know, they just say, well, hell, that's a losing proposition. I'm just going to quit mining. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm losing $10,000 every time I damn mine a Bitcoin. Mm. So uh, that is kind of like what uh, influences the price of Bitcoin, let's say, back and forth. And right now, I think most miners are holding on to the majority of their Bitcoin because they're seeing it rise so fast which also leads to more of the shortage causing the price to continue rising. But when it's dropping, then they're selling it, you know, as fast as they mine it because they got to pay electric bills, employees for computers, you know, rental land. Um, but when it's rising like it is now, they have more of a tendency to say, Hey, let's just slow down on the selling here. You know, it'll be worth more tomorrow than it is today. Got it. No, makes sense. So, so this actually falls right into my next question. So, and it's something I don't really understand. So I, I keep hearing about, you know, some of the um, challenges of Bitcoin is there's a big concentration of miners in China because they have low energy costs and all these reasons. But is do, do you see that as an issue? Or, and, no, I don't. Okay. I well, don't see it as an issue at all. And matter of fact, the uh, U.S. is Bitcoin miners are growing uh, at a fast rate, especially in Texas. Texas are growing at a pretty fast rate, too. Hmm. Um, and then you have like Riot Blockchain. Uh, yesterday, just signed a contract for fifteen thousand more Bitcoin. They're they're listed on the Nasdaq, I believe. So they're, I mean, Bitcoin is growing in the U.S. just as well. And the only thing you'd be scared of with the miners, I guess, is you could be scared of a fifty-one percent attack. And that's where 
let's say China, what your your question is, is if China had 51% of the mining, they could divert the blockchain and add a different blockchain. But, you know, the other computers have got to accept the fake blockchain. Hmm. I mean, they've got to accept it. I mean, they don't have to accept it. If they don't accept it, it doesn't matter. So, 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 um, it, so, so in theory, if that were to happen, they did a 51% attack, the non-China knows can just say fine uh we'll just fork and then you'll have like but a just fork they just don't have to even accept it they just can continue on and give someone else the uh award rewards um for the most part and as i'm not a super expert on mining either i just know enough to be dangerous about it okay. and most people i talk to who know a lot about it aren't very really worried about it at all because that's doesn't have to be accepted okay and you know the thing about you know the thing about really think about it if you were wanting to attack bitcoin Okay, and you really wanted to attack Bitcoin, you would have to start mining Bitcoin. If the 51% attack was going to be your method of attack, which is the only method you probably could do, mm-hmm. by the time you controlled 51% of the hash power, you'd have billions of dollars. Right. And so then you're going to like destroy it and make your billions of dollars worth nothing. You know, so all of a sudden you're going to go, fine, we now have it. We can destroy Bitcoin. But, sir, we have $4 billion worth of Bitcoin. Oh, hell, we we got to think about this now. Right, right. You know, because now we're going to have $4 billion worth of Bitcoin we're throwing away. And these computers have no value anymore, which costs you millions and millions of dollars. You know, a Bitcoin miner does one thing. It only does one thing. It mines Bitcoin. You know, if you don't mine Bitcoin with it, you might as well throw it in the trash. You can't do anything else with it. Right. And if you're controlling 51% of the hash power, you're talking about warehouses and warehouses the size of football fields full of these miners. So that's a big investment. Huge. And you got billions of dollars you've been rewarded. So the whole thing makes no sense. I mean, I don't think China's a pretty smart country when it comes mm-hmm. to making money nowadays. I just can't see them wanting to throw away billions of dollars. Yeah, you know, yeah. They did have control of the, all those individual miners. That, that's what I thought. Because my thought was, you know, especially if you know that China and China wants to uh, make the dollar less important in the world. You know, I'm like, well, Bitcoin is for me like an obvious choice because like it's like it's going to happen and kind of like what happened with gold and when U.S. became the the standards because the U.S. had the most gold after the war, right? And so, right, you know, right. they, so they had more gold than anybody in the world, right? And so, but I, then I, again, we hadn't been attacked really like the rest of the world had. True. True. Yeah, we were just sitting up here, <laughs> minding our own business, and then decided to go in there and clean up stuff. I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, the 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 multi sig process because we just had this big hack with, you know, Ledger and they got their data, not the Bitcoin, uh, right. but they're using the data to try to trick folks out of their, their their Bitcoin or whatever they want to do. I don't know what they want to do with it. But my question is, okay, if you want to keep your Bitcoin secure, I've heard different ways, and multi-sig is one of those ways too, but can you explain like how to keep it secure and what multi-sig is? Sure. Well, first of all, I think the problem most people make, well, let's go back to the hack on the Ledger hack. All they got were the data files, mm-hmm. you know, people's addresses who had bought Ledger's you know, their names, addresses, stuff, which a lot of people who own Bitcoin are very secretive. So that's not cool to a lot of people. Um, so they didn't attack Bitcoin and they didn't get any Bitcoin. But when you do see Bitcoin stolen or hacked, you know, that you, you see a headline, so-and-so hacked and all this Bitcoin's missing, it's because people buy Bitcoin and they leave it on the exchange where they buy it. You know, usually you buy Bitcoin from an exchange. And the exchanges buy and sell Bitcoin and make a percentage 
on each side, just like a stock market does, I guess, for the most part. And people buy, let's say you bought a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin and you go, okay, I got this Bitcoin and it's on Coinbase as an example. Well, that's a big honeypot and it's an exchange. It's not a bank. Right. But a lot of people treat it like it's a bank and there's no FDIC in an exchange. <laughs> you know, I mean, the saying is if you don't have control of the keys, it's not your Bitcoin. It's wherever the control of the keys is. And in this example, Coinbase, would, it's their Bitcoin, you know, because they have the keys. So hackers will hack exchanges because that's a big honeypot. And they're hoping to get in there because, believe me, they are going to come after you if you've got a Bitcoin. I don't think you're going to have a bunch of hackers going... Okay, we're in China. We can get to Phillips wallet. Get in that ledger, we can get that Bitcoin. Room for old people, start working on Phillips. You know, that ain't what they're doing. Right. You know, they're gonna go after Coinbase where there are thousands and thousands of Bitcoins, you know, millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Or or some exchange. I'm just saying Coinbase, but it's not I'm not saying they've been hacked. I'm just right, using right. that as an example of word instead of an exchange. So to be secure, first thing you have to do when you buy your Bitcoin is take it off an exchange. You know, it's like if you're walking in the street and you bought something from someone, you wouldn't say, hey, hang on to this till I come back. <laughs> you know, it might not be there and it might not be there. So, you know, in the Ledger wallet, I don't use the Ledger wallet personally. Um, there are a lot of wallets to choose from, but you buy a, a cold wallet that means it's offline. Put your Bitcoin in there, store it in there. Your Bitcoin stays on the blockchain, actually, so you're storing the um, the, the keys, you know, to your Bitcoin on the wallet there. And then put that somewhere safe. But there are a lot of, and also, you never buy a, a storage device for your Bitcoin from Amazon or somewhere like that. You only buy it from the manufacturer. Okay. But on Amazon from some dealer, you don't know that he's opened it up. Mm. You know, got the uh, password for it and then repackaged it. You know, so you only want to buy. You go, oh, it's twenty percent cheaper here from Joe on Amazon. Well, you know, it's like Voltaire said. You know, uh, you are in control of your own money, you know, with Bitcoin and with and that's great control or, you know, with great and it's great power, actually, and with great power, there's great responsibility. And so if you don't want to be responsible for your money, you know, you're going to lose it because there are people that want it. So it's not like, I mean, you're a bank, you know, if you own Bitcoin. So now yeah. your other statement, multi-sig. That is more of an online storage through um, someone like Unchained Capital. Uh, they're out of Austin. And if you have a three-sig, multi-sig, then that means you store your Bitcoin with them. And you have two wallets that you have, and they have a wallet. And two of the three wallets have to be used to access the Bitcoin. So let's say, let's say, actually, I I heard some guys do a bet the other day. They made a bet for a Bitcoin. And uh, if you and I made a bet for the Super Bowl, we bet a Bitcoin. Just as an example, we could go to a multi-sig site and we could both put in a Bitcoin. And then you'd have one of the uh, keys. I'd have one of the keys and the site would have the third key. And then didn't matter if you lost, you said, I'm not giving you a Bitcoin. Doesn't matter. I could just call up and say, hey. You know, the bet was uh, then I won. So here's my key. Put your key in. And, you know, so it's uh, they worked pretty good for that. Uh, actually, mm. that was pretty funny. Yeah. They bet whether Trump would win the election. Oh, that was a, that was a, what Bitcoin did podcast, right? Peter. Yes, Peter. And the uh, uh, American HODL. Mm hmm. 
So I guess the, I guess they decided to go ahead and settle that, right? Because I guess Trump hasn't officially. Yeah, I, I think he gave in. I think American <laughs> Hoddle gave in. <laughs> yeah. So um, okay, no, that's that's so cold cold storage. You're, you're a bank, like, and 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 am I thinking about this right? So I would think that speaking of Apple, we talked Apple talked about Apple before offline. Would it would it make sense for Apple to kind of create a uh, a it wallet on the iPhone? I mean, Apple should buy it. What do they got? Like twenty billion dollars or something? Yeah, oh my de- gosh. yeah, definitely buy Bitcoin. But I mean, like, what about creating like a wallet on your yeah, iPhone? Yeah, I'm that, kind of surprised it, they haven't done that yet too. Either having that built into the, um, you know, to the ecosystem because they have Apple Pay, so right. they could do. I, mean, I don't know. I'm not a financial guy with Apple, but I would think that they could add to Apple Pay. It's like the Cash App does. You can buy Bitcoin with the Cash App. Right. Cause it can, you know, and PayPal is adding it to Venmo now. So uh, soon you'll be able to buy it. You might already be able to buy it with Venmo, but if not, you'll be able to buy it on Venmo soon. So I'm surprised they don't have a built-in wallet with um, using the Apple Pay. You can buy Bitcoin. I mean, you know. It, it would make I mean, complete I saw sense. today that PayPal users by themselves are buying more Bitcoin a day than is uh, created a day or distributed a day by the miners. Wow. So just by themselves, PayPal users are buying more Bitcoin a day than there comes into existence per day. And, and the way the way PayPal works is, I think it's different in cash, right? PayPal, you have to leave your Bitcoin yeah. on PayPal. You don't ever own the keys. Okay. Yeah. So where well, Cash App, you do actually own the keys and you can... Um, move your Bitcoin into your own personal wallet offline with PayPal. I guess I think they did that for a uh, legal reason. Um, so they didn't have to get, um, which makes sense to me by doing that. Maybe they don't have to get all the know your customer information because mm. the customers are never taking the Bitcoin offline. Mm-hmm. You know, cause if you bought Bitcoin from cash app or anywhere and you're taking it offline, you know what you got to do driver's license and all this hoopla you got to go to where I don't think you have to go through all that with PayPal because you never take the Bitcoin off there. But if you bought a Bitcoin and it went up to $30,000 tomorrow, you say, man, I made $6,000. I want to sell this or take it off of here or whatever. And not even sell it. You just want to take it off there. You can't take it off there. You have to sell it and get your cash back and you pull your cash off and go, I guess, buy some more Bitcoin <laughs> in your wallet. So it's, but you can't take the uh, Bitcoin off of PayPal. You're I- correct. I remember the first. I remember I bought I bought my first Bitcoin on on Cash App or Satoshi because it wasn't a full Bitcoin, but I bought it on uh, um, Cash App and it was like on a Saturday, and then I transferred it to to a wallet I have, um, which I'll ask you about because I'm still looking. I'm I actually were, was on Amazon looking at uh, cold storage wallet, so I'm gonna like take that off my wish list and go directly to the site. So thanks for that information. But yeah, I, but for yeah. now, I have like a, a, a software wallet that I uh, that I transferred it to. And I, I don't know, that's probably not super secure, so I'll ask you about that. But I did it on a Saturday, and I was like, well, wait a minute. Cash App for Cash takes me one to three days to get it to my bank account, and it transferred my Bitcoin to my wallet in like 10 minutes. I was like, this is crazy. Yeah, like, it's it was, fast. It's, yeah, it's fast and seamless. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that was it another, is fast and seamless. That's pretty, I'm sure. So, but like, so, are, are, so I'm assuming those software wallets are more secure than maybe the exchange, but less secure than the right cold right, storage. Right. Anything that's on the internet all the time is going to be hooked up to the internet all the time is going to be less secure. The further away it is 
from being on the internet. And if it's in, you know, cold storage, like a treasure or a cold car or a ledger, let's not hook that to the internet all the time, only when you plug it in. So that's going to be, you know, cold storage, like that's going to be the best. Awesome. Okay. No, thanks. And and so what about, have this is one thing I was thinking about because I was reviewing my our financial plan with my wife. From the, from an estate planning standpoint, how do you make sure that the asset will transfer properly? Because you have all these, you know, basically you got your keys that you that you write down. I'm assuming maybe you can you share that, but with, with your spouse. But is it is it as simple as that? Like, so if you tell them where everything is, they have they know where the keys are, and if anything happens, they can get it, and then they own it, and it kind of makes it seamless. Yeah, for the most part, I guess that would be correct. Because if you don't have um, that, then it's like it's a matter of uh, knowing where the um, storage device is you've chosen to use, mm-hmm. you know. And then uh, you got that in the password. I mean, you know, you're pretty much ready to go. I must say, then they got the Bitcoin. Because if, if not, you can't call anybody and say, "Oh, hey, my, you know, my no, husband no. died." And <laughs> that's why they say there's about four million Bitcoin that are lost right now forever. Uh, yeah, you know. So I mean, there's been 18 million Bitcoin created in the last 12 years. But, you know, a lot of people threw away computers when it was like two or three cents of Bitcoin or a nickel of Bitcoin and had thousands of Bitcoins on them. And people forgot passwords and people have sent them to wrong addresses and stuff. So they say there's about four million. They're just gone. You know, they're still in the blockchain, but nobody owns them. Nobody can get them. A couple more questions. This this was like I wrote down. I listened to a podcast on purpose before our podcast to listen to some folks that were like Bitcoin haters. There was a hedge fund guy who interviewed um, Kyle Bass, who's another hedge fund guy here from Texas. Uh, I think he, actually he's here. He's here in Dallas. But um, they were they were talking about the fact that they didn't think Bitcoin would survive because the at this point the government would not outlaw Bitcoin, but they might do something like um, tax the growth of your Bitcoin every year, make it a short-term capital gains tax. And at first I was like, is there any president for that? Like, where is he pulling this idea from? Is he just a hater? Uh, and First of all, you don't have to know how much Bitcoin you have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that'd be a hard law to put into effect. I mean, people go to such, such measures to keep secretive as to who they are. That mm-hmm. I think that'd be a hard law to put in effect. And then you've got a good share of the Bitcoins out of the country. I mean, you know, so it's not like it's a U.S. entity. It's not like it's a company and you go down to Bitcoin offices and tell the president of Bitcoin, hey, you need to start sharing all this stuff with us or else we're closing you down. (laughs) I mean, it would make no sense to shut down Bitcoin because then the rest of the world would have Bitcoin. I would say your biggest, your bigger uh, concern about Bitcoin would be if it does become the world currency, I'm not saying it's gonna, but if it does become the world currency and it overtakes gold and uh, the dollar, you know, within printing trillions of dollars becomes worthless, um, the United States government won't have enough Bitcoin. So your bigger concern would then be doing like they did in 1930 or whatever it was when they took everybody's gold. You know, most people don't even know they came in and told mm-hmm. everybody you had to turn your gold in. You could keep like four ounces of gold. It was illegal for a U.S. citizen to own gold. And the United States government, as soon as they got all that gold, they doubled the value of the gold. So people really got screwed then because their money was cut in half what money was worth. And they just got paid for their gold. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I think they came in, sold it, and then the month or two later or a year later, I'm, I wasn't alive, so I don't know the time. I know I'm old, but I wasn't around back then. So that would be more of a concern, though, is that uh, the government would decide they need your Bitcoin um, to keep the economy going. And if they need your Bitcoin to keep the economy going, this circles back to what we talked about earlier. Then the place to get Bitcoin would be to go through the exchanges and just go to Coinbase and all these exchanges and say, hey, you've got four million Bitcoin. We need it. We're shutting you down. We're taking your Bitcoin. Hmm. So that's the bigger concern. I don't think the United States government, they haven't shut down gold. I mean, since it came back open, they aren't like telling people gold's illegal and you have to pay those kind of taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think, know, I think they're, they're like attacking like Ripple right now, XRP, as a security, but they've already come out and said Bitcoin's not a security. Right. You know, uh, it's more like gold in the eyes of the country. And don't and don't you think with the new age internet today, like Bitcoin has a pretty strong community. I, I'm like, if the government yeah, tries to tries to do that with Bitcoin, I think it might risk, you know, not like like a civil war, but I mean something where they're gonna like, it's gonna be fights, you know. Well, first of all, I don't think you would be able to know who had uh, or how much Bitcoin everybody had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and second of all, Bitcoin is not a U.S. product. You know, it's a world. Uh, product. So, I mean, <laughs> some guy living in Taiwan is not going to be mm-hmm. worried about U.S. taxes. It just means, you know, Bitcoin, the worst case scenario would be, or the best case scenario is, I don't know, it'd be best or worst now to think about it, but one scenario would be that the rest of the world would be gathering more Bitcoin than the U.S. And we'd be locked and that out of that. wouldn't do us any good. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing good to come out of that for the, every country to have Bitcoin, all the citizens except us. Right, right. Yeah, no that that makes that makes complete sense because at this point it's kind of like is going to happen and who's who's the first to move who's the first to get the advantage you know Wyoming was first to try to become the New York City London of of Bitcoin right yeah. and uh, you yeah, know first mover they're pretty strong out there on their Bitcoin laws and stuff you know you've got um, you know a lot of these hedge fund people. I think it's natural. Like I said, I'm not an advisor, so I don't know where they're at. I just sit on the outside looking. But a lot of them are used to doing things one way, and they don't understand Bitcoin, first of all. You know, Bitcoin is hard to see. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm -hmm. That's what I like to say. It's hard to understand. But once you do, you can't not understand it. Mm -hmm. But you have people like uh, Drunken Miller or whatever, you know, that they're financial people that have been around like old boomers and stuff, they all know who he is. Mm-hmm. He's switched over to Bitcoin now. He's a believer in Bitcoin. Yeah, he, he he's, who's who I want, he's who I want to be when I grow up. Yeah, and he just came out with Bitcoin. And then you see the Gutenberg Fund. Yeah, they're huge. And uh, I saw last week the head guy for the Gutenberg Fund said that uh, they looked at Bitcoin and felt the value of Bitcoin should be $400,000 per Bitcoin. So you have a lot of big funds. I don't know who these guys in Texas were, but these are some huge players that are saying they're putting money into Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the Gutenberg fund, I don't know how much did they put in there, a billion dollars or something in Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, you know, Grayscale Capital has over Bitcoin, a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. MicroStrategies just bought another <laughs> $650 million worth of Bitcoin. They have a billion dollars worth these aren't, you know, last time Bitcoin went to in 2000, December of 2017, Bitcoin went to 20 or 19,900 or whatever, let's say $20,000. It was all people like you and me 
that drove it up that high. Mm -hmm. Now, this time, I don't think the retail trade has really jumped in yet. Mm -mm, I mean, of course, where you and I have some Bitcoin, but it's being driven up by big, big corporations that have a lot of smart people on staff. You know, you don't have people like Drunken Miller saying $400,000. I mean, or PayPal buying more Bitcoin than created it today. You know, if they don't have faith in this stuff, it's like I said, it's not like you and me buying and jacking it up this time. Right. We haven't got people like you and me really haven't even got in yet. Right. You know, yeah. only like probably, I don't know the exact percentage, but I, I keep hearing numbers like only 3% of the people in the world even know what Bitcoin is. I, much I, less, I don't know what percentage own any. You know, so this is like, um, like I said, I got on, sorry, e commerce in 96. Bitcoin is probably like 91, you know, where the internet was. <laughs> mm-hmm. We hadn't even got to 96 yet. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's exciting. Cause yeah, you, you know, I'm, so I, I own a wealth management company and in, tw- in 2017, um, all of my clients were asking about Bitcoin. And now, you know, like I, I bought some earlier this year and, uh, and I've been just f- filling people out about it, uh, talking to them about it. And, uh, like nobody's like, super interested i'm like man y'all were interested like at eighteen thousand, you know um uh, in the in and they the, definitely weren't interested when it dropped to three and they could have yeah, got a good deal right 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 <laughs> but but y'all are showing no interest now it's like that is super interesting interesting when all of you know i know buddies who who run hedge funds other money managers and fidelity and even an insurance company mass mutual bought a hundred million and i'm like yeah, so yeah. all the i'm saying these are big players yeah, these, these aren't idiots <laughs> yeah and, and these I'm, aren't like joe blow working <laughs> in a little office these it, are like Major with a ton of people on staff to study this stuff. Because because when you when when you understand finance and then you understand, I think this was the year where everybody was like, "Oh shit!" You know, the Fed has to keep printing money. There is literally, if you if you they say can't stop, they can't stop. Like none mm-hmm. of them can stop. And then you're like, uh, "Okay, uh, the system is broken. <laughs> we need to we need to preserve our assets some other way." Yeah, they, yeah, they can't stop now for sure. And, they, you know, they call Bitcoin like digital gold, but, you know, gold, people don't really understand. You just put your money in gold as a, a safe haven. You're not really, people who are putting a lot of money in gold aren't sitting there going, oh, I hope that gold goes up, you know, tomorrow. They're just putting it in there to keep their value because they know the dollar is going down. Mm-hmm. Um, where Bitcoin, yeah, it's a safe haven, but it's so volatile and it's going to go up a lot is what we're all expecting. So it's more people putting in there, I think, looking to make money, not to. But, you know, you have uh, MicroStrategies. Michael Saylor said they just put all there. They had, what, a billion dollars in U.S. cash sitting on the side. And he feels that the government's uh, incorrect with the amount of inflation. Uh, they say that 2% inflation. He says that's BS. He mm-hmm. says he feels he's losing 10 to 15% a year. And he goes, that's all more than they made a year. Yeah. So he couldn't keep it in cash. And he thought Bitcoin was the uh, best place to keep it. Well, and, and it's interesting because I, I don't know why they track inflation like that. Because for most people, our highest cost are like housing, right? Which is increasing more than you got healthcare, education. And and I went, I, I literally this morning was was on the website looking at Japan. I was like, all right, what is... What does the average person make in Japan in U.S. dollar terms? About fifty grand a year. All right. What's the average place they live? And it's like a seven hundred something square foot apartment. 
and 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 what does that cost per month? Well, it, you know, it only costs five only. I mean, that's that's still a lot, but it's five hundred five to six hundred dollars a month USD to rent. But if you want to own it in a condo of a similar amount, you got to pay like two hundred fifty thousand dollars for seven hundred square feet condo. And like um, Japan is like looking into the future for where U.S. and all the other developed countries are going with with all the money printing because it goes into you know they're buying assets. Right, and that, and I think that's what Sailor was saying. Most of the inflation is, is you know, the little basket of goods, but housing cost is like killing people. Um, well, they have to do the inflation, calculate the inflation rate the way they do, probably because of um, Social Security and other things that have cost of living increases. Mm-hmm. Um, if they calculate the inflation at two percent. This is just my guess. I guess continue telling you I'm not a financial advisor. These are just thoughts I have and things I see. But if you're increasing inflation at 2% per year, you're having to increase the amount of money you're printing and dishing out by a lot less than if it was 10% a year. Right. So I believe that they, the reason that they say the inflation and they leave certain things out is because. They can't afford to increase Social Security by 10% every year with the cost of living adjustments. And there are other things that they do that, too. I'm sure Medicare increases somehow. A lot of government programs, I'm sure, increase the cost of living increases are based on inflation. So That makes complete um, sense. Yeah, so if you keep inflation low, artificially, the amount of money you have to print and dish out is less. Makes complete sense. You, you, you just helped connect the dot for me that I... That makes complete sense. All right, last question. So, and you and you use the reference, you know, it was perfectly, it's perfect for my last question because you talked about internet 1991. Um, and so like WordPress, I don't know when WordPress came out, maybe like early 2000s, right? But, yeah. but, but WordPress right. came out to make it easier for regular people to build their own website that didn't right. know how to do it and I don't, I don't even know what it how you built one I before. Use WordPress. So. Okay. So and then and then you had companies that built on top of WordPress to help like the person who built my website, he built it on WordPress because WordPress was too complex for for even me. And so do you see that happening with Bitcoin? So Bitcoin is early and we got all these you know the it's, it's a, kind of like podcasting too, you know. Mm-hmm. Podcasting when it first started, oh my god, it was really hard to do a podcast. You had to build your own <laughs> and stuff and add your in tags and stuff now gosh you can pick up your phone do a podcast update it and do the whole thing i mean you know i mean where you couldn't before it was really hard to do now some people think it's hard now believe me this is really easy <laughs> um and and bitcoin's easier than it was um but as time goes by it'll get easier and then you know everybody a lot of people think that the banks go out of business because of bitcoin but banks aren't going to go out of business they've got some smart guys working there too you know, they'll learn how to make money off this Bitcoin and there'll be people who want to buy Bitcoin and don't want to learn how to secure it themselves. Mm-hmm. And the banks will pick up all that business, you yeah. know. So yeah. um, it'll get easier and easier as time goes on. Like I said, it's it's 92, you know, in internet years. And believe me, website was hard to build in 92. I promise <laughs> you, I tried in 94 and gave up. I couldn't fill the shopping cart. You couldn't buy a shopping cart. You had to build your own. Oh, wow. And so I came back at it again in 96 and tried. I got my site built, just couldn't build a shopping cart in 94. It was a little more. So I gave up and uh, lost my domain name, came back two years later, bought my domain name again, and went back at it. And I was able to get it all done the second shot at it. 
Mm-hmm. So it's um yeah, it's just early. It's early. But you know, the people who get into stuff early are usually the ones that do real well, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I had the first uh, wallpaper website for wallpaper in the world. We cleaned up and I had the first website for girls sporting goods, uh, softball, baseball. We cleaned up. The people who get in early are the ones who do well. The people who leap forward and take the chance and dive in are the ones who do well. You know, the the bigger your risks are, the more you make uh, long term. It's like money. If you got money sitting at home, cash, well, you don't make anything off of it. It's just sitting there in a box because you don't have any risk. But now let's say you put it in the bank. Well, you're going to make a little off of it. Not a lot because it's not a lot of risk in the bank, but there is a risk that the bank could go out of business or something. So you get a little bit. You know, and then if you invest in the company, you got a bigger risk. You know, because company, so you make more. So the more risk you take, the more you make. And it doesn't matter what it is. Money is a perfect example. In a box, you make nothing off of it. <laughs> the harder, the different ways you invest it, the more risk there is, the more return there is. But you take a risk, you may get nothing. Right. But there's some things to me, I think Bitcoin's a, 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 a no-lose proposition, and it's still early. So, you know, it's like Satoshi Nakamoto said when he was messaging people, say, hey, you never know, this might take off. You might want to own a little. <laughs> you know, the people who said, okay, I'll throw a thousand in it back then. That's a lot. Now they're today. multimillionaires. Yeah, you know? that's, that's a lot today. It's like, it's like, like, like real estate, like you said, like, like websites, the first blogs are, were big first podcast. You were, you know, one of the first fifty. And by the way, for those who know, like, what, what's the what's the name of? Your, I think you have multi podcast too, right? What's the name of your podcast? Yeah, a lot of podcasts. Well, my number one podcast I would listen to if you're interested in Bitcoin is the Four Minute Bitcoin Show. Okay, just Four Minute Bitcoin. I do one news article every day about Bitcoin in four minutes or less. Awesome. So it's a show that I don't care if you like walk next door to go to work. You could listen to the whole show on the way to, to work. So it's four minutes or less, one show every day. Okay. Fourminutebitcoin.com. Four minute Bitcoin. Four minute Bitcoin and anywhere. It's listed everywhere. But that's the show most people seem to enjoy because they learn uh, one little fact every day. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm just a Bitcoin guy. I don't believe in the, all the other stuff. I'm just a Bitcoin guy. So Yeah, no, yeah, they we talked about that before. I'm um that, that that's all I own right now. I'm I'm curious to see about the I, I haven't found anything that I that I believe in uh, yet. Matter of fact, I was text messaging my buddy who's overseas now about XRP. He, he's been talking about XRP for. I was like, uh, he's going to lose all his money. Well, right. I told him. I, I said, "Hey, man, listen. Like that sounds like a- illegal raising of securities, and so I don't want to." They mess just with, uh, filed. They, they just, filed suit against XRP yesterday, the day before, for being an unsecu- being illegal security. Yeah, they're it, being delisted on every exchange <laughs> right now. I mean, that literally. It looks like to me is going to be worthless in a, a week. I mean, you won't be able to go anywhere, even sell what you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, if he hasn't sold it, he needs to get rid of it. He, I would think. Like I said, I'm not a financial guy. He, 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 he's hard. I know that five. I think five exchanges have delisted it today. Yeah, he he's hard headed. He he's a. Uh... He's gonna hang on to it. I, he, yeah. he, you know, he <laughs> hang on it. Why well, I mean, we're to sell it? <laughs> yeah, you, you know how it is with your, which is like he's like one of my best friends, if not my best friend. So you know they don't they don't listen to you. If like, man, I'm, yeah, trying, yeah. I'm trying to tell yeah. you. He's like Philip. But it's funny, but a lot of those people, those XRP people, they think it's going to get to five hundred dollars. <laughs> if it got to five hundred dollars, there's so much of it. I think there's more XRP than there is any cryptocurrency in the world. There are billions of them. Mm-hmm. Where where uh, Bitcoin is twenty one million. 
there's like I, I don't know the numbers because I'm not an it's, XRP it's person. hundred billion. There is a lot of them. So if XRP ever reached five hundred dollars, it would be more money than there is in the entire planet. I mean, it wouldn't be more. It'd be more money than there is in the time. I mean, you can do the math. Yeah. And take the amount there. There is and multiply it by what you think. Go. How much money is there in the world? <laughs> you go. Well, that's more money than there is in the entire world. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be like all the money in the world, all the Bitcoin in the world, all the gold in the world. I mean. Yeah, it's yeah, and, it's and, not and, a very well. And their problem is they're they're creating a product that's going to compete head to head with the uh, central bank uh, stable coins. And I'm like, they're not going to compete with them. Like big Bitcoin's yeah. not competing with them, and XRP is trying to compete or trying to uh, assist them. And they're like, we don't need you. We can just build on top of Ethereum or wherever. I they could are. see all the. I could see uh, down the road all stable coins being illegal because mm. um, banks will want to control those mm-hmm. banks. Yeah, you know, they own the Fed. Right, I mean, they right. have a lot of weight. <laughs> right. So I can see the banks wanting to own the the stable coins. So I'm not saying stable coins are going to disappear. I'm just saying I could say saying I could see a world where there is no tether or you know stable coins like that. There's no Gemini coin. It's all coins owned by the you know federal government or by the Fed Makes or sense by the banking me. system. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people's problems is they don't understand what the Fed is. You know, they just have no idea what's going on with the Fed. They think the Fed is a government institution's there to help you, you know, <laughs> as an American citizen. They would read like uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island, for instance. Have you read that book? I have not. I, it's on my, oh it's my. on my, It's on my wish list, but I've read like a uh, History of Wall Street, like just about – Almost every financial book out there that includes the Fed, that but that that keeps pulling up on my recommendation because I've read yeah, all the books read around that it right away. And then, if you want to read one book about Bitcoin, I would start with the Bitcoin Standard by Saifedean Amoose. Mm-hmm. That is probably the most comprehensive. That is like the textbook right now for Bitcoin. Yep, is uh, the Bitcoin Standard. He goes from the beginning of money from like shells, you know, and arrowheads and. Pretty rocks to uh, today, and then to Bitcoin. So that's a great book to read too. Great book, yeah. I, I actually just read that last week. It is a great book. Yeah, it's very great. But he has been at my conference every year, but this year he didn't come because he was having a baby the same week our conference, you know, was going on. So and, and, he's and, a good guy. And, and the conference for those who who don't know, it's Bit Black Boom. It's it's every August. So it's August twenty one. Do you, do you have a date for August twenty two? So last weekend in August. Okay. And it's in Addison, Texas, where yeah, we just announced the date, what, a week ago, and we're already halfway sold out of tickets. I need to get my Yeah, we'll be out of tickets probably by February or March. But it's um it's a smaller conference on purpose. Um so we'll have three hundred people. That's the cap. That's all we have, because that way uh the people that come enjoy it because they can interact with the people that are there. I mean, the people who speak stay at the conference all day. Mm. You know, so it's not like you know, a lot of conferences you go to that are bigger. You know, I was a uh, part owner and founder of Podcast Movement. That's like the world's largest big, uh, podcasting conference. We had like, the last one was in Florida. We had over 3,000 people. And that was a mess. Mm. You know, I didn't want to do another conference. I sold my share of that. And I didn't want to do another conference that big. So I made this one is a more of a small uh, conference that's like people really like. Because that's why we sell out so fast. 
Okay, no, I, I'm, I'm gonna get my take because it's here local, and I'm and I'm in on Bitcoin. I, as a finance guy, I fully understand it. I, I heard about podcast movement through Donald Kelly. Donald Kelly was yeah, Donald's a good guy. Yeah, he was one of the first. He's our host. Was our MC every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he yeah, I like Donald a lot. He's a real good guy. He was the first guy that I was a guest podcast on. I can't remember how we met. We met somehow. Yeah, he's a really good guy. I like him. He's funny. He has a lot of. I still remember he was at our. Well, he's been at it all, but when he emceed our first one in Dallas like seven years ago, I was like, "Who is that nut?" Because <laughs> you know? he brings a lot of uh, a lot of comic shtick into his emceeing. Mm-hmm. You know, or did at the time. You know, he he may have changed, but he's a good guy. I like Donald. Well, I definitely appreciate you coming on the show, Gary, taking out of, of, of your busy times to talk yeah, about Bitcoin. This it. is helpful. Um, and I'm sure my audience will love it because, you know, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm sold out on a mission. I want everybody to, to, to be a part of the movement because it is a movement. And I do think that the people that uh, need to participate m- the most are not understanding the, the people who have money like they're getting they're 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 rolling in. But I'm like the regular everyday folks need to know about it because it's a it can be an equalizer. I think. Here's what I recommend people do if you want to learn about Bitcoin is go to I'm going to give you my referral link. I'm an advisor to these people. Okay. Go to SwanBitcoin.com/Gary. SwanBitcoin.com/Gary and set up on there with dollar cost averaging. You can buy as little as ten dollars. Mm-hmm. And for going and using that link, you'll get ten dollars worth of Bitcoin. Mm. But you can use that site and you start getting $10 worth of Bitcoin a week or a month or every other week, whatever you want to do, as little as. But it seems to me that everybody I direct there, I direct a lot of boomers there. They'll go in and they'll do $10 a week or $50 a week or something. And then I ask them about it a month later and they go, well, I've upped it. I'm now doing 200 a week or 500 a week because it's an educational site and they send you every week a, a great um, article or a blog about Bitcoin to educate you. But the thing is, once you own a little, doesn't matter if it's $10 a week you're buying. Once you own a little and you have a little bit of skin in the game, you start like really starting to want to know more about it. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you have some and you're starting to understand it. And you go, man, I need more of this because <laughs> you understand it. So Getting some skin in the game, even if it's $10 a month or $10 a week, you know, whatever, it really, really helps you understand Bitcoin a lot quicker than just going, yeah, I've been hearing about that for 10 years now. I should have done that. That's been another day. Uh, my sister, I got her in now. I think she's $50 a month. She's <laughs> 70. And she, I had dinner with some old high school friends of mine. And Linda said, Linda said that she wanted to buy Bitcoin 10 years ago. I said, well, she should have. She wouldn't be there with you at lunch probably right now. She'd probably be on vacation somewhere. Right, right, right. So you got to get some skin in the game and you'll start. And like I said, that doesn't have to be a lot. I think a lot of people also understand that you can buy $10 worth. Mm-hmm. You know, they see that Bitcoin's $24,000 and they go, oh my gosh, I can't afford that. Yep. But they, they don't understand it divides up to a million places, you know. Yeah, yeah no, that's hundred million places. Isn't that isn't that why Litecoin's whole whole businesses it's the same as I don't Bitcoin. Understand it's, Litecoin. Yeah, what it, the hell is there's a deal with that? It, I mean, Bitcoin already is divisible. I mean right. what a dollar is like fourteen hundred sats or something. Yeah. I mean, how much smaller do you want it to get? There's fourteen hundred of them in a dollar of Bitcoin pieces. <laughs> how I don't understand the whole Litecoin thing. It's yeah, I don't. It makes no it. sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, how much smaller do you want it to break up? Do you want 
2,400 pieces? No, it's four times the amount of silver. So that's like, for Litecoin, they would be 8,000 smallest pieces in a dollar. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't understand. I don't understand. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. The whole concept makes no sense. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't divisible, if Bitcoin wasn't divisible, it would. But it's mm-hmm. way too... You know, and the thing is with Bitcoin, they can add more decimal places. They can't add more Bitcoin, but they could say, you know what, Bitcoin, is, let's say Bitcoin got so expensive that the smallest piece of a Bitcoin you could have was $5. They could say, well, we want this to be divisible instead of by 100 million, we want it divisible by a billion. Mm. You know, and just have more spaces. It wouldn't be more Bitcoin, just right. more divisibility. Yeah, that makes sense. That would make sense. Yeah. yeah. They just have to change the code. Bitcoin Core would just change the code, and I'm sure that would be adopted by all the miners because it's not increasing the amount of Bitcoin. And at that point, they go, yeah, we need this to be more divisible. People can't spend their Bitcoin because the smallest unit's $5. Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. I think we got a long time before we need oh, that. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. We, if, we, if it gets to the point that the smallest <laughs> unit's $5, yep. everybody who even has point oh one Bitcoin or maybe point oh oh one Bitcoin <laughs> is going to be just vacationing 20, 365 days of the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I know I will. I, yeah. I will be podcasting on a beach right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, That's why I say people might want to get some. You never can tell. It might take off. Mm-hmm. Just never put in more than you can afford to lose. Mm-hmm. Good, good, good words. Good words. Well, well, thank you. I appreciate you. And um, this, this yeah, will be a lot of questions I've never been asked before. Oh, well, I'm no glad. Ever asked me about the Byzantine general problem. He, he no, th- thanks. I appreciate that. that. That was my goal. I didn't want to ask the same questions that everybody always asks. So I really kind of like prepared for this. Uh, luckily, I knew a little bit about it. I've never been asked that before. That was, <laughs> Kind of caught me off guard. <laughs> no, no, it's cool. You did, you did a good answer. Connected dots for me. So thank, thanks again. Uh, and this will be, this will be out later today. I'll send you the link and um, yeah, and I'll post it up for you. Pre- I'll share it to my group. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Well, uh, en- en- enjoy your holidays. You do the same, and a merry Christmas to all your listeners. Merry Christmas to you too. Those of you who haven't been at my website, go to StonehillWealthManagement.com. Click on the four hundred one k tab. We got a Stone Hill 401k service that you've probably heard about. It's great for businesses that are small businesses, businesses between zero and maybe 150 employees. Uh, we provide love and service to the employees about how to plan and invest for retirement and a whole host of other uh, benefits that we give. It's all on the site. Check it out, stonehill401k.com. We create startup plans and help with selecting the investments and educating and advising our clients on how to invest and how to best reach their retirement goals. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.